Thank you for joining us for our series through the Book of Romans. This book is full of rich truths about the Christian life, and we hope that throughout our study, your identity in Christ and our call to communitas are affirmed in you each week. Let's dive into the text. Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and in the members do not all have the same function. So we, church, though we are many, are one body in Christ, individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given us, so let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. How many of you guys are fired up for a spiritual gift sermon? Anybody? I'm sorry, here's the problem. That's actually not really what Paul's talking about. And I think that we typically come to Romans 12 and we're like, this is the spiritual gift part of the message. But it's actually really not Paul's main focus. So I want to remind you how we got here. Like, I love this passage, but even teaching it this week and studying the last few weeks, it brought me to a new spot. It actually started in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Remember, we've actually been in Romans 12. We're getting to verse 3 today, guys. We're finally a whole month into verse 3. You're doing great, church. I hope you're getting those 7 a.m. text messages right, as we're praying and watching. And so today we started verse three and we will in the sermon as well. But verse three comes after verses one and two. Here's where we started in verse one. Paul says, I love you, brothers. I appeal to you. I beg you. I beg you by the mercies of God in light of everything he's done in the past. I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I think that's the big idea. It's, it's on the screen behind me. It's going to be on our PowerPoint slides for the rest of the year. Living sacrifice is the big idea. Verse 1 points to it. By the way, verse 2 points back to it. Spiritual worship is pointing back to being a living sacrifice. How do we be a living sacrifice? How are we a living sacrifice? It's not crawling off the throne because Jesus was our dying sacrifice. He's also our resurrected sacrifice. Amen? And so he's saying, here's the big idea of the rest of the book. Be a living sacrifice. Now, how do we do that? And I love when Paul just answers the question even before I ask it. He tells us in verse two, how do we do it? Think like the kingdom. Think like Jesus calls you to think. How do we do this? We think, we think rightly, and we think rightly about God. Three times he's gonna say in this next verse to think, to think, to think. First of all, like Daisy said, thanks for being an 1130 service person. You're here. That means you're thinking on some level. You wouldn't come if you didn't wanna think. You'd watch the pregame show for the football game, right? Like, You're here to think, but here's my heart for you as pastor. I don't want you just to think. I want you to think rightly. I want to think rightly about God. A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. It's why every morning we open the word. We don't care what Drew or our preachers think. We care what God thinks. We're trying to renew our mind by the transforming, the conforming to his image, to his vision, to his plan, to his heart. That's what we're after We're after thinking rightly in alignment with him. And so as I often will teach people, whether it be in a seminary or pastoral or just a church setting, I'm trying to encourage them to think rightly about the gospel. 
The gospel is a completed work. We don't add anything to the gospel. And so Paul has been describing the gospel in Romans. We're united by the gospel. That was our theme in the first half, so that we would be a living sacrifice. We're united by the reality that every one of us has been on this side of the cross at some point in our life. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us was made for relationship with him, but every one of us has rejected that relationship with him. But God. But God has rescued us, he's redeemed us, he's given us life, and now he's put us in a family of God to journey with him, led by the Spirit, led by his mission and vision and calling. And so when I do trainings and teachings, I try to encourage people, focus on the big ideas. Big ideas are more important than little ideas. Is that brilliant or what? I remember that in seminary. I just going, wow, that's so simple. And yet what do we spend a lot of our time talking about and focused on as people? Little ideas. Here's the big ideas of the Bible. The Bible's about God. He's the main character. So take a deep breath, church. You're not the hero, he is. You're a part of his story. This whole number line is his story. It's his completed work. It's about him. He is the king, you are not. And it's about him and his love for his creation. It's God's love, that's who Jesus is. He is fully God, but he is the incarnate love of God. He is the main character. And his story then is the gospel. His story is the good news. Why is it the good news? Because every one of us rejected him. And so he's come and lived the life we couldn't and died the death that we deserve. It's a love story. That's what the gospel is. We don't add to the gospel. My prayer for you as pastor is that you have been gotten by the gospel. Way too often we try to train people to get the gospel. I don't know about you, but I don't, I'm never gonna understand the depth of God's love. Amen. Not fully. I'm not gonna stop trying, by the way, because it's called worship and it's good for me. But that's the Bible. The Bible is a love story of a perfect God and a people that rejected him and his continual pursuit of them. And it's incredible. That is the gospel. It's the work of God. And so then his mission on this side of the cross is that he's a relational God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one, perfectly content without us, and yet he made us, he pursues us. And it's about now his love for all people to receive his love. And so those are the big ideas of the Bible. That's what Paul says, we should all be unified here, united by this reality. I don't care if you're a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer, that's it. Now there's a ton of little ideas, like the 49ers football game, right? <laughs> ton of little ideas, like your family, like your marriage, like your time and your talent and your treasure, like the gifts that are in the passage today. Those are little ideas. The big ideas is God, the gospel, and his mission. And so really, as you read the Bible, as you think about your life, everything in life is either mercy or it's grace. Mercy, not getting what we do deserve, or grace, getting what we don't deserve. And so as Paul comes to the text today, I encourage you, as I reread it, pay attention, what's God talking about through Paul? Is it grace or is it mercy? Let's read it again with this paradigm. Chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace, I guess I just answered the question. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, church, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each of us, according to the measure that God has assigned, for we are in one body and yet have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in the body of Christ, individual members of one another, not just of him, but of each other, having gifts that differ according to who? His grace that was given to us. So let's use them. If prophecy, then proportion to our faith. If service, then serving. The one who teaches, teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes to generosity. The one who leads with his zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with his cheerfulness. The big idea that Paul is making is simply this. All of us have a gift that's been given. We're called to be stewards and it's entrusted to us. That's it. We're called to receive the gifts and to use it for his glory and for the good of others. 
We're called to be humble stewards. There is a game being played in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and he will win. And we have a role to engage in that. And you're like, yeah, but Drew, this just feels really foreign, like Romans was thousands of years ago. Don't worry, I have a very modern day context I wanna share with you. There was a football game last weekend on Saturday that many of us watched, and there's a football game this afternoon I heard about, right? And again, that's where Dacey was publicly repenting to you guys. He talked about the Lions, he almost lost his job in between services, like very awkward. Um, but there's a game this afternoon, I want us to think about what God is doing as he's building his kingdom. And so here's a clip from after the game last week. Brock, on the, on the Ray Ray, looked like a missed assignment. It looked like you said, you know, what are you doing? It looked like you guys had some harsh words and then you guys were on the sideline talking about it. What happened exactly on that play and what was the breakdown there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just going through my progressions and, and you know, from where I'm at with the pocket closing and stuff, I'm expecting him to be where he's supposed to be um, with the route that we had called on. The corner actually slipped that was guarding him. So he was trying to be smart and, you know, throw up his hand and run the space, which I get. And so in the moment, I was like, man, you just got to be where you got to be where I'm expecting you to be, but I totally understand what you're doing. You know, if the guy falls, there's a big play to be made out there. So we had talked about it. We ended up on, on good terms. And, and Did you hear what the quarterback said? You just got to be where I expect you to be. Do you hear that? Like on some level, that's part of what Paul's saying here. Hey guys, you have a role to play. Now here's the good news. In the kingdom of God, like the quarterback's kind of an important position, right? Everyone's a wannabe quarterback, at least I am, right? And, and so it's an important position. But if you watch the Niner game, Purdy stunk last week right? There's all these articles about it and, and all this stuff. And here's the good news. Jesus can actually play every position for us. The Niners won the game. Why? Because you win as a team, but everyone has a role to do within the team. And so don't ever overestimate your importance on the team. We know the final score. God wins. Amen. But he gives us an invitation. He gives us an invitation to engage as we storm the gates of hell, as we engage the kingdom of darkness. And I love Purdy. He's, he's a young quarterback. He probably had some veterans be like, hey, maybe you could have answered that question a little better. Like he tried to be like gracious and humble. Like, you know, but he's like, just be where you're supposed to be. But you know, he, he did his best. Here's the good news. My best isn't always good enough, but God. And so as we come to the text, they pay attention. It's not how are you doing your job? It's are you doing your job? It's do you see that you have a role in the kingdom of God and that he is moving his kingdom forward? Do we know the plays? Do we know the plan? Are we faithfully recognizing that we win as a team and that we need each other to move forward? If you have your Bibles, zoom in on Romans 12. Here's my summary. How do we, those who live lives that are founded in our experience with God's mercy, everyone in the room today has a, an experience where we're unified by our rejection of Jesus but God, we are now being renewed in our mind. So how do we think? Well, we think in view of God's mercy, with the grace that he has given us, we steward the gifts he has given you. Why? Because he is building a unified, joy-filled community of faith in Rome and here at Vintage. He's building that for his glory, for our good and for the joy of those who don't know. That is the win. That's where we're heading. And so don't be stressed today, but you got a role. He's gonna win, but you've got a role. And so let's pray before we start walking through the text. Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh? Would you speak to us? Our ears are open. Would you open our heads and our hearts? Would it penetrate all over our bodies? Would we give it back to you as a living sacrifice for your glory? And for the good of people that don't yet know you, may they see you in us, we pray. Help us to think. And everybody said, amen. So the next months, we're going to be in the, really the implications of Romans. We spent multiple weeks on verses one and two. Now we're going at a rapid pace. I'm going to talk way too fast. It won't bother me. So keep up. Verse three is where we're going to start. He's going to say 10 things over the next couple of months to us as we study. And it's going to start with thinking. 
Don't think highly of yourself. Don't think too low of yourself. Use your gifts. See them for what they are. Gifts from God. Grace. That's all they are. You didn't earn them. You don't deserve them. You're not special because you're the quarterback versus the water boy versus the tight end. Like you've got a role that God has gifted you with. If you don't play it, you're missing the joy of Jesus. You're settling for less. You're not experiencing the fullness of the kingdom. And so that's what we're going to talk about today and moving forward. But 10 ideas over the next few months that we're going to pull apart. Starting in verse three, here's what he says. For by the grace given to me, Paul doesn't show up and say, hey guys, I'm an expert. I have all the answers. Follow me because I'm really smart. I don't think any pastor should. I wonder if we should even have terms like lead pastor. Really, that's my technical title. Really what that means is I'm the lead follower at Vintage. That, that my job is just to faithfully follow Jesus and then to come to you and say, hey, follow with me. Like, I love to preach. You know why I love to preach? I open the word of God. The spirit speaks to me in my head and in my heart. It causes me to repent and I go, dang, I'm not living like a living sacrifice. I get to repent because he's faithful and it's loving kindness leads me to repentance. Then I get to come to you guys on a Sunday or my life group on a Tuesday and say, guys, don't settle for less. It's not gonna make you happy you faithfully follow Jesus. Like, that's why I love to preach. And so Paul comes to them. Paul's never met these guys. Paul hasn't planted the church of Rome. He's not living in relationship. He wants to plant them. He wants to be with them. Why? Actually, he just wants to get to Spain so that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and someday go to El Dorado Hills. That's Paul's hope. That's his intent because we're looking at the book of Romans. And so Paul says this, guys, I'm not here as an expert. I'm here because the grace of God met me on the road to Damascus. That's why I'm here. I'm here because I had a radical encounter with Jesus and you cannot see Jesus for who he is and not be emotional. Why? Because I was dead in my sin, but God made me alive. That's what makes me happy. And so that's what Paul's saying. Guys, this is only grace. It's either mercy or it's grace. Two categories, everything fits in those umbrellas. That's it. So pay attention, guys, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, think, think, think. Now, what are we thinking about? We're thinking accurately about God, about ourselves and about others. I don't think that there's place for pride in the kingdom of God. I think that when we understand Romans 1 through 11, when we understand the mercy of God, then that impacts the way that we receive it and then actually be the grace of God to others, manifest that to others. And so here's what he says. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with a sober judgment. My definition of humility, and a lot of people have used this. I don't know who to give credit to it for, but I love it. It's an accurate view of God, of yourself, and of others. It's why we open the word every week. It's why my heart for you when we go to life groups is not, well, Drew said, no, my heart for you as teacher is, what is Paul saying? I want you to hear the voice of God. I want you to hear it for yourself, not through someone else, but as a self-feeder. We have an accurate picture of who God is because that changes everything, and it immediately impacts the way you view yourself. Now, this is huge, and this is not some self-help talk. Please hear my heart. I hope you know me well enough. But here's the truth about Satan. He always spews half-truths and half-lies. Like, Satan's smart. And so on one level, I don't want you to be afraid of Satan. We give him either too much credit or not enough, right? But here's the truth about Satan. He's always telling us half-truths. He doesn't tell us full lies. Why? Because then we would identify that for the rubbish that it is. We'd be like, I don't need to think about that. He tells half-truths. Like, let me give you an example. You guys have heard me say before in the pulpit, Drew rhymes with poo, right? And so as a young minister, pretty regularly, Satan would come to me and he would whisper things such as, Drew, you're not good enough. Drew, you can't do it. Drew, you won't accomplish. Drew, you, you can't, 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 can't. Is that true? Actually, (laughs) if you know me, it's pretty true. Drew rhymes with poo. Drew can't. Drew won't. 
Drew's not faithful enough. Drew's not smart enough. Drew doesn't have strategy enough. Drew, to, Drew can't. Drew is desperate and dependent. But Drew rhymes with poo. You know what else Drew rhymes with? Drew rhymes with new. I was on the patio the other day, and this guy has been wrestling with his journey with Jesus and fighting for his joy in Jesus. He says, Drew, I just want you to know, man, I'm so grateful for your leadership, or, or what I would say, you're following Jesus. And he says, but don't ever forget Drew rhymes with new. I'm like, bro, that'll preach in three weeks specifically, okay? <laughs> I am a new creation in Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The life that I once lived is dead. That's the beauty of baptism. We go under the water and say death to self and life to Christ. So don't miss this, Satan. Drew rhymes with poo, but he also rhymes with new, but God. And so it's imperative. It's imperative that we as the people of God have our minds transformed because Satan and yourself, by the way, is gonna tell you things in the mirror about yourself. And this is not manifesting hope. You got no hope apart from Jesus. But if you have Jesus... And more importantly, if he has you, that changes everything. And so here's what he says. He says, don't think too highly of yourself, but don't think too lowly of yourself either. The word of God, the gospel, the person of God allows me to see what the enemy says and say, no, no, that's a lie from the world. That's not of the Lord. And I can identify that and rebut that. I can stare him in the eyes and say, greater is he that's in me than you. Greater is he that's in me because he has overcome the world. I can stare at myself and I can stare at Satan and I can know that it's not just who I am as Drew, but it's whose I am as son of God. Those are different things. Everyone's on the self quest for discovery. Who am I? Man, spend less time about who you are and more time about whose you are. Think rightly about God. It'll change the way that you think about yourself because you know who God is madly in love with is his people. You. And so this empowers me and equips me to deal with the lies of Satan. It's the way we think. And so again, we don't spend a lot of time talking about what we do with our hands, but rather focus on our head as it penetrates our heart. It equips me to live this world. It also empowers me to help other people follow Jesus as I follow him. So I want to tell you a story about my son, my middle son, Carson James. And again, if, if you'd have felt like a prayer list, if you're a prayer warrior, please pray for Carson James Soda's room. And the reason being is he's a lot like his dad. And, and again, I don't mean that as a joke, like look at our baby pictures, look at his temperament, look at his highs and his lows and his insecurities and, and his dashing good looks, like, like pray for Carson. But when Carson was little, this is a little idea. I think family's a little idea. It's not a big idea. We make it a big idea in idolatry. We focus on the family, focus on God. He'll lead you to lead your family. But, but as we, I deal with Carson, he was four or five and I still remember he was just beating himself up. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm like, do that as a lie of Satan. I, 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 he was taking his eyes off of the main character and the hero, which is God. And he was looking at himself. I remember grabbing by the shoulder and being like, stop talking about my son that way. And of course he's five or whatever he was. And he's like, what are you talking about dad? Oh, I'm your son. Yeah. Knock it off, bro. Don't you understand whose you are? And you're not mine. You're his. I'm just stewarding you to point you to him. That's part of what Paul's doing as a spiritual father. He's grabbing us by the shoulder and saying, don't forget whose you are. If you know whose you are and you know he's got a plan and he's gonna give you gifts, then you're gonna use them the way. So you would never think too highly of yourself because you just got a gift, but you would also never think too lowly of yourself because you're a son of the living God. And so church, we gotta find that tension. That's why he says, think with sober judgment. Sober means balanced. That's what it means. And yet the world that we live in is drunk. They are out of control. Pride, power, 
All of these realities, time, treasure, talent, these things that overpromise and underdeliver. And so Paul says, but soberly, balanced, in control, recognize whose you are and who you are. Never too highly, but also never too lowly. Why? Because it's his story. It's not yours. He's moving the gospel. In fact, he says, each of you have been given a gift to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He's moving his kingdom forward. We're just the piece of it. And it's so humbling to play a role. Like, I love being the water boy. I love having a front row seat. People pay a lot of money if you let me be the Niners water boy. That'd be really cool, right? Like, we get to see God do what only God can, make dead people alive again, build a joy-filled community of faith. And so he says, think rightly about God. Understand what he is doing. And it's not just for you, it's for you yet to believe. It's for your family of faith. Maybe it's your nuclear family, but it's also for you yet to believe. It's why I don't baptize most people at Vintage Grace. You know why? Because even as the pastor, I'm not their lead discipler. I'm not the one they're following. They're following their neighbor or their father or their life group leader. Sometimes I get the privilege of baptizing people because I'm in relationship with them. But God is a relational God. And he says this, think rightly. Do not buy the lies of this world. Do not buy the lies of Satan. Do not buy the lies of yourself. You are now freed up from focusing on you. And now you're freed to focus on him. He's the only one worthy of praise And so he says, this is God's gospel. This is God's plan. There's a group of the yet to believe that need you. Remember Paul said earlier in Romans, you were saved by faith, for faith, and from faith. You were saved with faith for more faith. You were saved to be sent. And it's why at baptisms, I always ask people, who is God sending you to next? Who are the people on your pray watch list? Who are the people at your home and in your neighborhood that need to see the joy of Jesus because they're looking for it in all the wrong places? And so Paul says this, here's the plan. God created a body, one body, many parts. Verse four, for as in one body, we have many members, but the members do not all have the same function. There's different roles, and I love that. In fact, I've grown in 22 years now in ministry to understand what is my role. Paul says it very clearly in Ephesians 4. Pastors, your job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16, he says, I've given you all sorts of gifts God has, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, all these gifts with one purpose, to equip the saints to go do the ministry. Your job, Drew, is not to do, but to equip you to do. I do too. And I love being a part of the kingdom of God. I love serving in the ways that I do. But my job as pastor is to equip you. Pastor is not some higher calling. It's just one of many callings. The high calling of son or daughter of the king. How we live that out is based on the gifts God's given us. We just steward them from that point. So this last week, I did what God has called me to do, which is I'm training pastors and teaching, and I'm in Austin, Texas. It's highly overrated. Don't move there. Like, talk to a guy this morning. He's going to move back. Like, but, but here's what was fun. We had some of our year three residents and Jen's training them. And I was doing some training with our church plant residents. Be praying. We have a brand new church plant resident, Matt Kane. In fact, today was his first Sunday in Coloma being introduced to our partners out there. So be praying for Matt. We have another brand new church plant resident, Paul Spangler, who's going to be joining us in a couple of months. Be praying. God is giving us leaders to equip, to send, to equip, to send. And yet here's what I love is we're there as a team. They were there to learn. And what I saw in a lot of the cohorts is that they were actually the teachers of the group. That God was leading through them. And yet every one of us at the group was all uniquely wired differently. I'm not like them. They're not like me. They're not necessarily like each other. Here's what Paul says. One body, but many different members. And we don't all have the same function. But if we don't play the function that we're supposed to play, then it's going to rob us of joy. And so I've said as your pastor for years, I want you to be happier tomorrow than you are today. And most of you guys like that, right? 
Like, there's a couple weird people like, I don't want to be happier tomorrow. Well, go to a different church because that's all we're going to talk about here, right? Like, fighting for our joy in Jesus. But if we don't live out the plan of God, I am convinced your joy will be diminished, decreased, and maybe damned. That's a real thing. And so pay attention. There's a joy robber in the text today if we're not living out the gifting and stewarding what God has given us. And I often use the phrase joy robber simply as sin, as settling for lesser joys. And I don't want you, because I do want you happier tomorrow than you are today, I don't want you to settle for less. We're sitting in teaching team, and one of our pastors said this, it feels like this is spiritual embezzlement. And I'm like, ooh, that's a fun word, but I had to Google what embezzlement meant, right? Here's the definition. Misappropriation of funds or property by someone who was entrusted with them. The spirit of the living God has given you mercy and grace and gifts that he has entrusted to you. My prayer as your pastor is you are not spiritually embezzling in that reality. My prayer as your pastor is that you see the gospel and the kingdom and you engage with it the way that Paul's talking to us. He's simply saying this, steward the gifts God's given you. Steward them, pay attention to them, receive them and then give them away. And so in this context, I don't want you to be robbed of joy. I don't want you to miss what God is inviting you into. I don't want you, like, as a pastor, I'm not going to baptize people that you're discipling. There's no greater joy than having a front row seat to seeing God do incredible things and you getting to be a part of it. I want that for every one of you. I want you to spend your time, your talent, your treasure in changing eternity through the power of the Holy Spirit. In him doing the work. Not only will it rob your joy if you don't take seriously what Paul is saying, but you're also going to rob other people of their joy that you're gonna steal from them a moment and an opportunity. See, one of my fears is we live in this church of America that essentially we, we have a hierarchy of giftings. Like we think the platform is where special gifts go to preach. Let's just be really honest. Drew rhymes with poo. That's not a metaphor. That's just very true. And so how do we wrestle with that? There's no higher calling. All of you have gifts as well that we need to discover and steward for his glory and the good of other people. It's not like, well, I want to be a pastor someday. Maybe God's calling you to be a pastor. Maybe he's calling you to be a mom that makes disciples in her neighborhood. That's just as high of a calling. And so he's saying one body, many members, members don't all have the same. There's not a hierarchy there. And by the way, if I try to do your calling and you try to do my calling, it's all chaos. You ever heard me try to lead worship here, by the way? It's bad. Like make a joyful noise, but if you don't, don't, right? Like there's just a reality there. You have a calling that's unique to you, to the way God has wired you. I'll never forget because I I was a terrible fundraiser as a church planner. I really struggled with asking people for money. We don't ask for an offering at Vintage. Why? Because God wants your heart. He doesn't want your wallet. When he has your heart, he does get your wallet, by the way. That's a real thing. But but pay attention. I'm like, I don't want to ask him for money. And it was a buddy that challenged me. He just said, Drew, you and I, I know you well. You've never given more to kingdom movement than now as a church planter. You've never tithed more than now. Why would you not want other people? Why do you do it? I'm like, because it makes me happy. It's the joy of the kingdom moving forward. He's like, why don't you want me to be happy and invest in what God's doing through you? I was like, that's good. That'll preach someday, right? (laughs) Another foundation, the Stamps Foundation, who generously helped us these first few years as we launched our church, the, the gentleman there, the director, he came and he said, Drew, why aren't you asking me for money? And I'm like, well, I don't know, should I? He's like, if you want it, you should. And I'm like, okay. And he just simply said, I have the gift of giving. But if you don't tell me there's a need, I'm never gonna get the joy of giving. Don't rob me of the way God's wired me to bless. And I'm like, that'll preach. By the way, can you give? 931 last night, right? Like, what is it that God has, see, no one laughed at that because that was like, wait, is that for me too? yes. Yes, God's entrusted you time, treasure, talent, and specifically gifts. 
for his glory and for your good and for the joy of people who don't yet know him. We need you. The yet to believe need you. And there are people that are receiving the grace of God and we're being sent with the grace of God. And so don't let your joy be robbed. So he says, look, we're all different and yet we're still one in Christ. I regularly remind you as a church, it's not the name on the back of the jersey that matters most. It's the name where? On the front. It's his, his kingdom, his Lord. Ephesians 4, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. He is the hero. He's the big idea. Little idea is if you wear a, a Dodgers jersey or a Giants jersey. If you wear a Lions jersey, like that's a very little idea. And yet we spend so much of our time focused on little ideas. Not on the big idea of the gospel. Not on the big idea of who is God. And what is he doing? And so he says this, although we are many, we are one in Christ. That's our unity, united by the gospel. And individually, we are not only members in Christ, but we're also members to who? To one another. This is huge, church. It's a big deal. This is what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be family. Church is supposed to be, we were dead in our sin, but God makes alive. That's what makes us happy. That's what unifies us. We're not supposed to come and go because I didn't like something. Like we're fighting for our joy together. We're in the trenches, storming the gates of hell alongside each other. And this is hard for us because we are, most of us here are Americans. And we, we grew up with this, you got to know the declaration of what? Independence. That's like antithetical to the gospel. The gospel is the declaration of interdependence. The gospel is I'm desperate and dependent. I'm getting off the throne of my heart and I'm receiving my sonship, not because of what I achieve, but because of what he achieved. And so this is huge. And so that's why groups matter so much. It's why we do the connect card. It's why we say, don't just come to church, be the church. You've got to be family. When someone texts you and says, I miss you, you're going to be like, well, are you taking attendance? No, we just miss you. We love you. We're together. Church on Sunday is actually about life group on Tuesday. And life group on Tuesday is actually more about living on mission on Thursdays. We coach volleyball together and we live storming the gates of hell. That's church. And yet the American church, we've like riddled it all the way down to like a 75 minute service on a Sunday. That's not church. Church is fighting for our joy in community as a communitas. Church is mourning with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. When we sit in life group and someone in your life group is hurting, we pause, we weep with those who weep. When someone in your life group is celebrating, we rejoice. There's a joy that comes in your joy. Why? Because the two have become one. See, we get a taste of that in marriage. Church is another taste of that. Marriage is a little idea. Church is a big idea. In fact, marriage teaches us about church, about what does it mean to be truly independent of ourselves and interdependent with each other in Christ in his mission, with his people. We become people as a community that love our neighbors as ourselves, the heart and the command of Jesus. And this is modeled by the Trinity. God the Father, Christ the Son, the Spirit, three in one. They weren't bored one day and was like, man, I'm so bored, like we should create Jared Pimentel. Like he was perfectly happy by himself. And yet for his glory, he created you and me. For his glory, he said, I'm gonna create Brooke, and I'm gonna create Adam, I'm gonna create Eve, I'm gonna put them together in a family I'm going to have them experience my love so that others would experience my love through their love. Remember, they will know you're my disciples by the way that you what, church? Love. Communitas. Interdependence. And so that's why the gospel, I think, is hard for Americans. Because we've been told for years, it's all about you. And that's the opposite of the gospel. We've been told it's all about declaring our independence. Well, you can't be a Christian if you're all about declaring your independence. Now, again, don't press the metaphor, but you hear my heart here. We have a declaration of interdependence that's perfectly modeled by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three in one. The text goes on, it says this. So now that we get that, now let's talk about spiritual gifts. 
But let's see gifts for what they are. They're just grace. They're just things that you steward. Every piece and every part matters. Like the other day I was working in the garage with Carson and, and I've got this gash on my finger and I didn't realize how important the layer of skin is on your knuckles. It's like, yeah, you know, I got lots of skin. I don't need it all, right? Like, but you don't have it. And then over and over again, all day, I just keep hitting it. And I'm like, man, this hurts. Now you gotta understand I'm a pansy. And so like, that's a real thing. And so I'm just experiencing this all day. And I'm like, ah, we need every part. There is not a part of the body that we don't need. Otherwise, God wouldn't have made it. We need every member or we can't be who God has called us to be. And so here's all Paul says. Hey, recognize, you all have different parts, different gifts that God gave you according to his plan, his grace that was given. Here's the big idea. Use them for his kingdom. That's it. He's not necessarily talking about what they are. He says, when you do, there's a harmony that comes. Harmony is this diversity of notes that is a unified purpose. The kingdom of God moving forward is our unified purpose, but every one of us plays a part. And so he goes on and he, he explains all these gifts, but I'm sorry, he doesn't explain, he just says them. He doesn't explain at all. Why? Because that's not the point. That's a little idea the gifts are. The big idea is God says, steward them to advance my kingdom. So here's what he says. He says this. So for those of you who are using them, if it's prophecy, use it in portion of your faith. If it's service and serving, if it's the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He doesn't really describe them, does he? He actually uses the word to say, this is how you do them. As you teach, teach. Okay, I think I can do that. No, see, he's not concerned with what they are. He's concerned with how are we using them? Are we using them at all? If we're using them, are we evaluating? Are we comparing my gifts with your gifts? By the way, comparison always sounds like it ends in sin because it always leads to sin, right? Like, like think about this. If you're like, man, I, I, I wanna be like Drew because he's a preacher and people look at him. I'm like, you wanna be like Drew. Drew talks too fast. Drew sweats just by walking up the stairs. Like Drew's got so many issues. You be you, I'll be me, and we'll both serve him. He's the hero. He's the big idea. And so pay attention because if you're like, man, I wish I had those gifts. Well, then what you're actually saying is, God, you made a mistake and I don't have the gifts that you want me to have. That's sin. That's looking at God and saying, I'm not good enough. God's like, I'm pretty sure I'm the best creator in the cosmos. And by best, I mean only. So no, I, I got you. Or if you look at someone and you're like, man, I'm just so glad I don't have those gifts, <laughs> which I know many of you have said about me in my life. And I'm like, that's hurtful, right? Like that's sin too. That's judgment. And so either way, we're sinning. The point is not, I want to acquire a gift. The point is a gift was given. Have you received it? And are you stewarding? That's the point Paul's making you. That's it. And so in the church, you see this in the church of Corinth. We see it in the church of America, this hierarchy of gifts. That's rubbish. That, that, that's empire thinking. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is Drew rhymes with poo, but he also rhymes with new. And now we live out in the kingdom in the way that he's invited us as family, with family, for family. We don't focus on the, 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 the what we do. We focus on the how. We focus on the head, not on the hands. And so we'll continue to be that way as a church. We'll continue to fight against the comparison game that America plays so well that is straight rubbish. Now, I'm not saying don't go do a spiritual gifts inventory. I'm just saying that wasn't Paul's point in the text today. You know, find out your spiritual gifts, that's great. Just may it never bring out arrogance or pride. May it simply be something that you're stewarding you want to go do a shape test? You can Google, what's a shape test? Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, uh, personality, and experiences. God has wired you uniquely. We need you to play your role because the skin on my knuckle needs to be restored or I'm going to be distracted from the mission, glorifying God and being a part of his joy-filled community of faith. 
The gifts are supernatural. They are grace that he has given that enhances the inclination the Spirit uses to build the church. Everyone and everything we have is a gift from God. It is relational. It is for his glory. Now, again, you can read all about spiritual gifts. I just highlighted three passages in different places that Paul and Peter talk about it. Paul says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is the one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength of God. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. I want you to pay attention. Whose gifts are they? It's in yellow. They're God's. They're God's. But he's given them to you to steward. And I tried to underline for what purpose? For the common good? For the building of the body? To storm the gates of hell? That's what God is doing. And for your joy, I pray you're joining him in that. For your joy and the good of people that have not yet trusted and treasured Jesus, I pray that you are receiving the gifts, stewarding the gifts, and engaging with the gifts, all in view of God's mercy. Why? Because it's not about the gift. It's about the humility that comes when we view our entire life in view of God's mercy. And then we steward them to move forward. Now, final word on gifting, because I'm afraid, and I hear this a lot in the church, not at Vintage, but the other churches I travel to, because you got this, right? Maybe. Here's what I hear. Yeah, but I don't have the gift of teaching, so that's not my role. Well, here's the problem. You're all teaching someone something. You are, because people are learning all the time. And so especially parents, like you are the lead shepherd of your kids. What are you teaching them? What are they learning from you? Whether you think you're teaching or not, people are learning as they watch you and as they follow you. So pay attention. You might not have the spiritual gift of teaching, but you have a calling from God to teach your kids and the people around you physically and spiritually. I've heard people say, well, I don't have the gift of service. Heck, I said that as a kid to my parents, right? I've had my kids say, oh, I don't have the gift of dishes. Yeah, well, you know what? You do now. I just gave it to you, okay? But I hear that. Like, oh, that's just not my gift. I don't have the gift of service. Here's the problem. In humility, we were dead in our sin, but God makes us alive. That's what drives us to serve. You serve as he serves you, and it is a gift to steward the gift and then give it to service. I have said I don't have the gift of mercy. I have the gift of judgment. That's something I repent of pretty regularly. I don't have the gift of mercy. No, but you have to understand everything in the world is viewed in light of mercy. No wonder why there's arrogant Christians, because they forgot Romans 1 through 11. That can't be true in the kingdom of God. It's why Paul says start with how you think. Start with how you think, desperate, dependent. I've heard Christians, and this one always has irked me. I've heard Christians say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You do, and that, and that is probably my primary spiritual gifting. I love the yet to believe. Why do I love the yet to believe? Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's who he came for. And so, yeah, I have the, the gift of evangelism, but make no mistake, the amount of people are like, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You are robbing yourself of joy and your family of actually discovering the joy of Jesus. That's why we set alarms to pray. You don't need the gift of evangelism to pray. You don't need the gift of evangelism to share your story that you were dead in your sin, but God made you alive. You don't need the gift of evangelism to be a happy Christian. Like in the way in which Paul describes the verses before, the gifts before, pay attention. He says, as to certain things with zeal, generosity, with this joy. I had someone tell me years ago, Vintage Star, that she was like, I've just never had a happy pastor in my life before. I'm like, What? Like, did you go to church? Because that's like impossible. Drew was dead in his sin, but God makes me alive. That's what makes me happy. That, that's it. And so however you're doing your gifts, how you do them, that you do them matters. 
So evangelism, for you to say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, you're missing a joy for you and for others that need to see the joy of Jesus in you. You might have the gift of evangelism, but you have the joy of Jesus down in your heart, deep, deep down in your heart. Do you not? If you don't, then you might say you don't have the gift of evangelism. That's my fear for the church of America. And then finally, yeah, I don't have the gift of leadership. I'm just not a leader. I can't get up on stage. Leadership doesn't happen in the pulpit. It happens as you coach baseball. Leadership doesn't happen on a platform. That's still my greatest concern. The Church of America has just jacked this whole thing up. We've just missed the gospel. We've missed the mercy of God. We missed the grace of God. We don't understand that the best sermons are not preached on Sunday. They're lived on Monday. That is the best thing I offer you as lead pastor is that I'm going to follow Jesus imperfectly, fumble the ball all the time, make a lot of bad passes. I mean, part of me was like, as a Niner fan, the amount of bad passes Brock Purdy threw just reminded me, come Lord Jesus, right? Like, but it's not about whoever the quarterback is. It's not about the gifts. It's about the giver of the gifts. It's about the mission that he's moving forward. And it's about the role that you and I play. It's about using gifts that God has given you, understanding your responsibility to lead your family, understanding your responsibility to pastor your neighborhood. Because by the way, your neighborhood doesn't come to vintage in El Dorado Hills because they live there. They don't care about this, but they need Jesus. And so may you be a leader in the places you live, work, and play. May you use your gifts that God has given you with the grace that God has given you. Why? To build a joy-filled community of faith unified by the gospel. So lots of implications today, a ton. And I get it. But again, give me the grace. I had to talk fast because we, we've been doing like one verse at a time. Now there's like five. This was so hard, right? And so as we look at the text, understand all of Romans, who you are. You are united by the gospel. Who he is. He has given you mercy and he has given you grace. What has he called you to do? He's called you to be a living sacrifice. That's the mission of God so far in the book of Romans. I don't know about you, but it's the end of January, which means that most of your New Year's resolutions are already shot. Anybody else? Like you're already behind on the Bible recap. Guys, I'm still trying to finish last year's Bible recap, right? And so just don't miss this because I think we can read the book and it can be discouraging. Like I, I drew him not a perfect living sacrifice. And I struggle with that. I want more for myself. I want my joy in Jesus. I want to care more about the world than not about my empire because I know every empire fails. And so here's the temptation, church, and I want to encourage you. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus was literally beat for you, crucified for you. You don't have to beat yourself up. Repent of your settling for less. Repent of stealing joy from yourself and joy from those around you. Like, repent of that, but don't beat yourself up. And don't commit to just trying harder. Like, I worry about that. I tried that. Like, I was the athlete as a young man through college where it was like, well, we want him on our team because he just works really hard. <laughs> That's how skilled I was. Don't try harder. It's not going to make it. You're not going to be good enough. That's true from Satan. Instead, sit in the riches of God's mercy and his grace because he is good enough because he did make a way. And so don't just bear down and knuckle down. Instead, continue to remember this process this ongoing spiritual transformation, continue to commit to getting those text messages at 7 a.m., to reading the word, to saying, God, what are you inviting me into? Continue to commit to life group, to read, to praise, to pray, to say, God, less of me and more of you in my life. Continue to fighting for your joy. If you're not in a group, get in a group. You need people. We can't do this on our own. And two questions to ponder this week. The first one is this, what has God graced you with? What's he given you? Now, don't get distracted. It's not about the gifts. It's about his mission, his glory, his story. This is all with the focus of God. Big idea over little idea. 
But what gifts has he given you? Some of you, you're, you're missionaries as screenwriters in Hollywood. No one's ever asked me to write a movie. I don't have a role. I'm not good at that. God has given you gifts, supernatural, spiritual gifts that you need to be identified. And I've found that also often self-identifying isn't helpful. I've tried to self-identify myself for the worship team. They keep rejecting me. I try to self-identify myself for all these things. I need people to say, hey, I see this in you. I see this in you. This is a supernatural gift that God has given you of mercy, of helps, of kindness. What are the things? And maybe ask, honestly, if you have a date this week, that's a great date question with your spouse. Hey, where do you see me stewarding the gifts God has given me? And when your spouse says, I don't think you have any gifts, 